0: Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. We're going to read together there. Everything is okay, I'm told. And, you know, we had an air conditioning unit. We've had some old air conditioning units that are going to be replaced and, um, when it's cold weather. Air conditioning do heating. We don't, the air conditioning is okay today. But the heat, you know, is kind of valuable to us. So, uh, you know, produce some body heat and we'll be okay. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew 22. We're starting this, this morning a series of six weeks called This Is Us. And we're going to talk about our vision and our values, really, these next weeks. Who we are, who we believe God wants us to be, who, why God made the church, why God put us here, what God wants to do in us and through us. Um, my mom did not grow up in a sports-oriented family. And then she um, married my dad and had four sons. And we all played football. And my mom didn't know anything about football. So she loved us, though. So she would come to watch us play football but she didn't know what was going on really and she didn't know what the how to follow the action she didn't know the penalties what they meant she didn't know when for sure to cheer or to boo or even really whether her sons were shaming the family name or not you know she didn't know that and so she had a neighbor there's a neighbor lady who who liked football and could explain the way mom kind of connected with and so she explained, the neighbor lady explained to my mom kind of the basics of football so she could sort of understand what was going on, cheer at the appropriate moments or not. And enough so that she'll watch some of the game today. Probably won't watch it all, but she watched some of the game today. Now, I think for many people, she was just so frustrated, by the way, just watch, she'd come to games, just frustrated, not knowing what's going on. And for many people, the church is just frustrating because they don't really understand the mission, the vision, the purpose, the why God has it. The church is a God thing. God made the church, and he made it for a reason. The church was created by God for a purpose. We need it. God made it for a reason. But many people are frustrated because they think it's uh, about for them or for their What they like or want or what their tradition may be or their preferences or really revolving around them and i want you to see a little of why god put us here the vision the mission the purpose of the church and the values of the church as we talk these next weeks and i want to start this morning by talking about by just mentioning what we call our vision statement really the mission of our church here it is if you're taking notes i'd like to encourage you to write this down whether you're watching online you can write there in your home or or here In person, write this down. Would you write, we want to glorify God and do His will? We call that the vision statement. We want to glorify God and do His will. Just write that in your notes if you would. And I want you to note that it doesn't say we want to glorify self and do my will. That's not what it says. We're not saying church is about me or my preferences or my traditions or my likes or my wishes or my wants or my entertainment. But that we who name the name of Christ want to glorify God and do His will and honor Him and follow Him. And in these next weeks, we'll watch as that sort of unfolds and what that means as we try to understand the mission that God gives to us, the vision that God gives to us. And so I want us to look this morning at two of the most important passages. I want every person who's a part of our church to know these two uh, sections of Scripture And the first is what we call the great commandment. The great commandment. And so I'm going to read in just a moment that passage from the Bible that we call the great commandment that really helps us to understand more of what God tells us this is what we're to do. And so let's read in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible there, let's follow along. Matthew chapter 22. And let's read what the Bible says here about the great commandment. The Bible says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked the question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So let's talk about what we're calling here the great commandment, what it means, what it looks like, and those two principles I want you to get with me. The first thing I want you to note is God wants us to love him fully. God wants us to love him fully. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, the Bible is telling us here in this great command about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were both very religious, just on different ends of the spectrum. So the Pharisees were very religious, but they did not emphasize the relationship with God. In fact, I want you to know that God's goal for you is not religion. He wants a relationship with you. And that leads us to religious acts. But many people replace what God wants, a relationship, with just religion, the outside. Just We give him the shell. God wants the substance on the inside. The Pharisees were all about rules. They understood the rules. They wanted to keep the rules, but they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. The Sadducees were sort of on the opposite end. They didn't believe that. You know, all of the commands were necessarily something you really had to follow. They thought perhaps the secular world was really the most important thing. And they wanted, you know, power for their nation and such. But you didn't have to follow all that, you know, God says here. That, that's not necessarily something you have to do. And they denied the power of God. And so the Bible says they came together. They came together because they both, while very religious on different ends of the spectrum, did not still, they did not know God. And so they asked the question to test Jesus. And they're not trying to, they're hoping I can, we can trip Jesus up. They said, if Jesus says, when we ask what the most important command is, if he says adultery, they'll say, well, what about uh, honesty? And if he says something about not lying, and what about adultery? And so Jesus just cuts right to the heart, right to the heart of what it means, of what he wants, and what the law and the prophets are all about. As the Bible says here, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And he said... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So it tells us a couple of things. It tells us we respond to his love. God loves us first. We would not love God except that he loves us. And he loved us when we were unlovely. It's not as though God said, you know, I've noticed you guys have done so well and you've improved so much that now I can love you. God saw us in our brokenness and loved us despite that. He didn't come to love us because we were so good we deserved his love. He came to us when we were unlovely and loved us though we didn't deserve it. What a, man, that's an important truth to get. You can never self-improve your way to a relationship with God. You can never self-improve your way to heaven. You can never self-improve your way to perfection. We need Christ as Savior, and he changes us on the inside. And out of that, of course, will come religious acts, but God loved us before we ever thought about loving him. And it also reminds us, that we're to love as he loves. And God, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's not as though God has not demonstrated love to us. Our English language is not as precise when it comes to the word love. We use the word love for a lot of different descriptions. In the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Greek, and there are several words that we translate into the one English word, love. And one of the words in the Greek language is a word called agape, agape. And it's about a sacrificial love. It's about a giving love. It's about a deep love. It's about a, a love that loves no matter what. That's the kind of love God shows to us. It's not a love you win, a love you if, but a deep love. And when you come to know him as Savior, man, his love is perfect love. And he teaches us to love like that, to love like that. The cross is really the demonstration of this for us. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us. What's the demonstration? The Bible tells us God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the Bible says. That's the demonstration. How do you know God loves you? To send his son Jesus who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live and who died the death that you deserve and who rose from the grave to give you the miracle that you need and Christ loved you so much that he died for you man that's a big deal that's why we respond to his love and we're to learn to love like that notice the second principle God wants us not only to love him fully but God wants us to love others faithfully the Bible says the second is like it so Jesus is saying these two principles love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and love your neighbors yourself they go together So let's talk about what it means to love others faithfully. It's telling us that we love others because we love God. We love God, and out of that comes this love for people created in the image of God. We learn to love others as he loves us. And notice it says, love your neighbor as yourself. We learn to love more than just ourselves. Many people think about, even when it comes to church life, it's about me, I'm the center of this, and it's not, nothing could be further from the truth. We, are, we learn to, to give, not just to take. We learn to love others, not just to be loved. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. If we get hungry, if you get hungry, you eat. You get thirsty, you get something to drink. You get tired, you rest. I mean, that's natural, it's easy for us. But it's supernatural to love someone else, to think of others and not just yourself to care about someone else, to think about. We'll talk in these subsequent, subsequent weeks about loving people beyond our own church walls, caring about people who aren't here yet, caring about people who don't even know Christ as Savior. That comes because we love God, and out of that we love others. And we learn to love them as the Lord loves us. My wife and I have thought many times about how this applies in our marriage and how important this great commandment is to our marriage. We've been married for a long time, many, many years. We got married when we were young. And and can I just tell you, we're not the same in personality. You know, we don't have the same perspective on everything easily. We're not, like, it's not impossible for us to be selfish or self-centered. You know, maybe you maybe you don't have that problem. Some of you who are married, you don't have that problem. Maybe when you get married, some of you, someday, you'll never have that problem. We have that problem sometimes. Well, how to two people who have different personalities and different backgrounds and different traditions and different expectations and different viewpoints. How can they learn to love? The more we love God, the more we can love each other. The more we begin to think like God thinks and see the world as God sees it and the love as God loves. I mean, I'm just saying it matters to my marriage. It matters to how I treat other people. It matters to how I view the church. It matters to how I view the family. It matters how I view my job. It matters. I can learn to care about people beyond myself. I can learn to love even, the Bible says, uh, you know, some people are easy to love, but to love your enemy. To love people who don't love you back. To care about others and like you care about yourself. That's a big thing. So I want you to know the great commandment because this is a part of who we are. We're going to glorify God and do His will. And when the question was asked of Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He was clear. All the law and prophets depend on these commands. And if you miss this, you will be frustrated with your Christian life, frustrated with your church life, because you'll begin to think it's about me, about what I want, what I like. But when it becomes about God and glorifying Him and doing His will, it changes everything. It changes everything. So I want you to know that great commandment, but there's a second commandment verse I want you to note, and we call this the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And I want you to look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20. So the Great Commandment in Matthew 22 tells us to love God fully, to love others faithfully. But now let's look at this Great Commission. These two passages are such such a part of the mission of the church, of how we are to live and think and act. So let's read together Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 18. The Bible says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's note three things about this Great Commission, this passage I want you to know, the Great Commission. It teaches us, first of all, that Jesus is our authority. I love how verse 18 says it. In fact, can I just pause one moment at the very beginning of verse 18? Jesus came near and said to them. It doesn't just say Jesus said to them, but I love that it says Jesus came near and said to them. Jesus is not just distant. You know, God's not just far removed, but he, is, he cares. Jesus leans into us. He came near and spoke to them. And he cares about you as a person. He cares about you individually. And, he's, and the Bible says, he said to them, this is, this is, by the way, just before Jesus is going to ascend back to the Father. So Jesus has already been born in Bethlehem. He's already lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He already died the death on Calvary that we deserve. He already rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and hell. He's already appeared to all the disciples. And now, as he's about to return to the Father, where he will make intercession for us before he returns one day to claim his own. He says these words to his disciples. This is, a, this is a big moment. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, not some. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's no more basic understanding that we have of the nature of Jesus than understanding this important principle. Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord, and you're not Lord. He is Lord. So when we come to the vision statement, to our mission, we want to glorify God and do His will. We're recognizing He's Lord, and He has all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm not the Lord. You're not the Lord. He is the Lord. Parents are wise to kind of understand this, that they have authority in a child's life, and especially that young child. And it's um, it's sort of common now for a two-year-old to kind of run the kind of run the family. And that's a if you didn't know this, a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Because the two-year-old, while they want to run the family sometimes, if you have a strong-willed child, you know that the strong-willed child wants to run the family. The strong-willed two-year-old believes They are capable of running the family. They believe they will do a better job than you will do. They will tell you what you ought to do and how you ought to live, and they will want to run your family because they believe they are the one in charge. But you know better, parent, I hope. (laughs) You know that that two-year-old is not equipped to run the family, that they don't know what they don't know, that there are many things about life they don't yet understand that they think they're ready, but they're not. They think they know, but they don't. And I want to remind you that Jesus is Lord. You're not the Lord. You may think you're the authority, that you know better than Jesus knows how to run your life, that you ought to be in charge, that you ought to do your will and not his will. But Jesus is Lord, and he knows what you don't know. And he understands the future in a way you don't understand it. He understands the present in a way you don't understand it. And may I say, he understands the past in a way we don't understand it. And he is Lord. And he is our authority. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying his will is what we ought to follow. As the two-year-old ought to follow the authority of their parents We ought to follow the authority of our King of kings and Lord of lords, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who saves us, the God who cares about us, the God who understands the future, the God who knows everything that has happened and that will happen. He is Jesus is Lord. Now, there's a second thing I want you to note here, and that is Jesus gives us responsibilities. He does give us responsibilities. And he talks to us in verses 19 and 20 about those responsibilities, and we'll kind of know each of those as we go along. Really, at the core, is the responsibility to make disciples. Many Christians and many churches have wrong impressions about the responsibilities Jesus gives. So some time ago, my wife and I were in South Florida, and we were driving along on the interstate, and I got hungry. I get hungry really regularly. I'm sometimes hungry when I'm not even, I mean, after I eat, I still feel like I'm hungry. And so I, but we were really sure enough hungry and we're driving along the interstate and there was a billboard that said brisket and it had a picture of brisket on the billboard. I like brisket. We moved to Texas to go to seminary and that's where he discovered brisket, and I have been a brisket fan ever since. I just really, really a good brisket, not a bad brisket, but a good brisket I really, really like. And so, man, I thought, this is great, and I said to Vicky, we should go to that restaurant. It, all the sign, the billboard only said brisket, just that one word, brisket, enough said. And the picture of brisket, you know, to make you want to eat it, and then it said the name of the restaurant, which was Wawa. Now, if you're from the southeast, you may know things that other people don't know. I'm not from the southeast, so I didn't know. I I just saw brisket, and I saw the picture, and I saw the name of the restaurant, Wawa. And so we got off. It said the exit to take. We got off, and it had a sign pointing 1.6 miles. We turned left and went 1.6 miles through all of those lights. You know, Florida has the long stoplights, and you can take a long time to go 1.6 miles, but... We'll just make the brisket all the sweeter if you get there. And so we drove on and we pulled into Wawa only to discover it is a gas station. It's a gas station. And I said, I am not. Now, it's. I mean, it, wasn't a, I mean, it was a. a nicer looking gas station and stuff. But still, I said, I'm not getting brisket. I'm not chancing brisket at a gas station. What a wrong impression I had. I just assumed Wawa was a kind of cute, clever Florida name for a restaurant. I was so wrong about all of this. Now, many people, when it comes to faith, there's just the wrong impression. They think church is about my pleasure, you know, what I like, what I want, or what I get. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says we have a responsibility. And the responsibility is found here in verses 19 and 20. Go, the Bible says, that's actually a participle, that word go. It's, I mean, going, it really carries the force of a command where to go. We're not, we don't stay. We don't just like cluster together the purpose of the church is not just to gather just to kind of help each other feel better for the moment remind ourselves of you know how hard it is out there it's not just that we go and we gather for a reason there's a purpose to our worship but we go ultimately we go to the ends of the of the earth we go to all nations the bible tells us and then it says go and make disciples now that's the imperative right there the command is make disciples If we would sum up the responsibility of the church, it is to make disciples. That's our job. We are to help people know and follow Jesus. We make disciples. It even tells us where to do that. Of all nations. Of all nations. We're not limited by geography or race or whatever else, politics or wealth or whatever else the world world uses, all of those things to divide. God's saying every person, every every place. And so as a church, this is what we're to do. We're to make disciples. We want people to come to know Christ as Savior. If you're hearing this online or here in person, we want you to be saved. We want you to grow in your faith if you are saved. We want you to follow the Lord. And we want that to happen right here, all around us. And we want that to happen to the end of the earth. We want it to happen far away. We want to participate in missions to the ends of the earth and right here locally. We, some of you know, we are very involved in missions as a church. We support missionaries around our world. We go on, we've had long-term partnerships in three countries, Siberia and Uganda and Cuba, long-term partnerships there and other places as God opens doors for us. And we believe God wants us to take this seriously to the ends of the earth and right here locally. We want, we're we not like neutral about this. This matters to us. This is our responsibility. We don't want to misunderstand this. We don't want to have a wrong impression. We don't want to think that the church, the goal of the church is just for my entertainment. The goal of the church is to make disciples. That's what God wants us to do. Go, make disciples of all nations. The Bible says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism doesn't save us. By the way, no water can save us. We're not saved by water, we're saved by Jesus. In fact, if we could say technically the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf, He took the penalty that was mine, that's the means by which we can be declared holy, forgiven, righteous before God. But baptism is our way of showing people that we have trusted Christ as Savior. You notice we put people under the water and they come back up, symbolizing that we die to self and live a new life in Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of what God does spiritually for us. We're born again when we're saved. We're new creatures when we're saved. And it's a beautiful picture of that. Uh, I love seeing people following baptism. We saw a couple of um, uh, men baptized this hour. Last hour, another adult was uh, baptized in earlier hour this Wednesday night. Uh, an adult woman will be baptized. Next week, I we, uh, think we'll have some other people who are following a believer's baptism. I commend it to you. It's a beautiful testimony. That you give without saying a word a kind of a witness that testimony that you give that you're a follower of jesus we're saying when we're baptized i am a follower of jesus i've decided to follow jesus and i'm saying that publicly to the world and then the bible says go make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them and teaching them notice what the bible says here in verse 20 teaching them to observe everything i have commanded you so we don't just teach them to know just so they have knowledge, we teach them to observe. We want them to do something. We'll talk next week about being God-centered, and then as we continue through this series, we'll talk about what God wants us to do. We don't just know. We, we're all for teaching here. man. We teach in our life groups. We want to teach God's Word in our worship services. We teach through singing. We, we want to teach, but we're teaching them to observe. We want people to put into practice. We're not just hearers of the Word. We're to be doers of the word. And so we want to observe. Notice it says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Not just the things that come easily, even the things that may be more difficult for us, more challenging. And so God gives us. This is the responsibility that God gives to us. These are the responsibilities for our church and for us individually, those of us who name the name of Christ. God wants to use people like us to help other people follow him, As disciples. Now, there's a third thing I want you to know. Jesus is our authority. Jesus gives us responsibilities. Number three, Jesus goes with us. And I love the last sentence of verse 20. The the Bible says here, the end of the book of Matthew ends with these words. Jesus said, and remember, I am with you always. He said, "Don't, don't forget this. But though I'm leaving you physically, I'm not leaving you. I'm with you always to the end of the age, till time itself ends. Jesus is saying, I'm ascending to the Father, but man, my spirit is with you. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in the life of a believer so that you are not alone. You know, that this is, must have sounded odd to the disciples. It's just like a, These guys are like a small group, fishermen, tax collector. Um, these are not the kind of guys you say, I mean, they're going to change the world. They're not powerful. None of them are, you know, political kingmakers. None of them have great wealth or education. But they are, God is going to use this group to change the world. And can I tell you how? It's God in them. It's God through them. God uses people like us. God uses people like you. And he wants to make a difference in this world through you. And he doesn't just say, hey, listen, you with your talents and abilities, you go out and have at it. He's saying, I'm going with you every step. It's my power. You know, I've never saved a single soul, nor have you. But I get to watch God, the God who created the universe, save souls. I get to participate in sharing the message. I get to help people learn to observe all that he has them to follow. I I get to be a small part and we we, we together as a church, you as an individual Christian, God wants to use you. He wants to make a difference in and through you. I get asked sometimes, uh, are you a pessimist or an optimist? One of my friends said, "Uh, you should be a pessimist, he said, because then life is filled with pleasant surprises. That's what he said. There's some truth to that. It's hard not to be some pessimistic about some things. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which our culture is running from the things of God. It's not like our culture is saying today, hey, follow the Lord, do whatever God wants you to do. Glorify God and do His will. It's not what the culture is crying out to us, is it? We live in a time that's more difficult and challenging. It can be; It's very easy. It'd be very easy to just be pessimistic. In some ways, I share the pessimism of many about the struggles that our society faces. But can I tell you something I am not pessimistic about? I am extraordinarily optimistic about the God in heaven who sent his son into this world to save lost men and women from their souls. I'm very optimistic about his ability to use people like us to accomplish his purposes. I am exceptionally optimistic about the ability of God to use someone like you who says, I'm going to live my life for something more than just myself, but to glorify God and to do his will, I'm extraordinarily optimistic about the ability of the Lord Jesus to do his work through you and to use a church like ours and to accomplish his purposes for eternity through us. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to ask you to pray about two things. If you're watching online or in person, and you, you're not sure you've ever been saved, you're not sure you've ever been born again, the Lord Jesus is able to save. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ and get that settled. Maybe you could pray a prayer like this from your heart. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness so that we see our need to be saved. If you're not saved, would you, would you be willing to say something like this to God? God, I know I have sinned against you. Just tell him. He knows it. Be honest with him about it. God, I've sinned against you. But you tell me in your word that you sent your son Jesus into this world to live for me and to die on that cross in my place and to rise from the grave and that one day Jesus is returning and one day we're, Lord, I I believe that. Would you just say to him, Lord, I want to turn from my sin and turn to you. I'm going to repent. Instead of going my way, I want to go your way. Would you say that to him? Would you say, Lord, I want to ask you to save me because you died for me and rose from the grave for me. I want to ask you to save me and to change me on the inside and to give me new life. And if you mean that, man, what it's big, it's huge. You may not even realize how big it is to give your life to Christ, but it's huge. And now I want to say a word to those of you who know Christ as Savior. Would you say, God, I want to live out the great commandment and the great commission. I want to live out the great commandment I'm going to love you fully. I'm going to love others faithfully. And the Great Commission. I want to do my part to help make disciples, God. I, I ask you to help me to do that. And help me and our church as a whole to focus on the mission you have for us. To glorify you and do your will. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the lessons it teaches us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to learn and to grow and to become what you want us to become. Use this in our lives. I pray you'll change hearts and lives who need to be saved, and I pray you'll grow Christians. Help us as a church to see our purpose. Help us to follow you, to glorify you, and to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.